Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule and just the the influence that you have. I was actually talking to some people and told them that I had you coming on on the podcast and, and they were excited just to, to hear when this episode releases, just to be able to listen to it. Uh, you've been a an, an editor, an event organizer, a speaker, ceremony leader, and just a general authority in the uh, sacramental psychedelic and cannabis space over the last 40 years. And so first of all, thank you for that. You know, over the last 40 years, uh, cannabis and psychedelics and those types of pro- uh, substances have received great stigmatism. And um, being at the forefront of that and being a leader in that, I'm sure you've you've gotten your own, ridic- uh, people have ridiculed you or maybe uh, brought a certain stigma or had a certain look, but I thank you for being a thought leader and a progressive uh, mover in the space to to get us where we're at today. Cause you know, now we're a second renaissance, if you will, in the psychedelic and the cannabis community. And I'm interested to get your thoughts on that and everything. I did have a first kind of question though for you. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you've done so much. You, you grew up three books. You just had your most recent book released at the end of last year, how psychedelics can help save the world. Um, and like, again, like I said, you're, you're involved in spiritual awakenings and, uh, Tibetan Buddhism and then with the, uh, the native American church. And so with all of those things, I'm interested where did it all start? Like where, what years ago when it, what happened to get you into this psychedelic and cannabis movement and awakening? Well, this, I'm going to get, I'm going to toss this off with a, a, a kind of a silly answer first. Um, okay. and that is that, uh, I'm a firm believer in the reincarnation of the soul. You know, um, my old Buddhist teacher would say that we've all had a thousand or more lifetimes. I have sent a sense that I've was involved with the Tibetans a thousand or so years ago or more, so I'll say it goes back there. <laughs> okay, okay. In this life, more realistically speaking, I have to confess, you know, my age, I'm I'm in that demographic that's now sort of somewhat pejoratively referred to as the boomers or the baby boomer generation, which means that I kind of came, in, came of age in the late 1960s and 70s, and there was a remarkable explosion, you may be aware of, I mean, it was a long time ago now, but... Uh, there were a whole bunch of factors that all kind of dovetailed at the same time. I'll try to keep this one brief because I know we've got a lot of other things to talk about. But first of all, there was a massive bubble in the demographic, hence the baby boomer you know, designation. <clears throat> People that were came home and started screwing like rabbits after World War II. <laughs> Secondly, uh, that dovetailed with, a, <clears throat> with a, a decade or more of unprecedented uh, material wealth in the West, in the United States and Canada, for example, and a real button-down kind of almost paranoid mentality with the uh, you know fear of nuclear war and things like that and commies under the bed and all that nonsense. <laughs> and so out of that came this well, relatively well-off generation, in, certainly in middle class and whatnot in, in the West, and then an influence from uh, Eastern spirituality in particular, Hinduism, Buddhism, and the psychedelics, including cannabis. And they, they kind of went together. Like people were having these openings with LSD in particular was the primary one in those days, although there were certainly lots of other psychedelics around. And they were going, oh, well, you know, then they had this openness to the spiritual path and so on. So that's where it started for me. There was a kind of, um, what would you call it, a meme perhaps around in those days after a few years of psychedelic exploration, there was an idea going around is with that age group, et cetera, was, well, okay, so you've had some kind of, you know, amazing opening where you felt the divine love of the universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, now what, you know, uh, what are you going to do with that? And the answer 
was you need, for most people that were serious about the spiritual aspect of it, because a lot of people weren't, they were more interested in just having an experience with, you know, psychedelics or whatever. But those that would, that would connect, had connected with the spiritual aspect of that work realized they're going to have to do something like have an ongoing meditation practice or yoga or something like that. Um, so for me, it was, uh, it ended up being Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist uh, meditation, and I didn't have anything to do with the psychedelics for quite a while. Okay. Until I came upon the work of Terence McKenna in the late 80s and uh, 1980s, and he um, he put those two back together for me, like pointing out that there was an ancient history in indigenous cultures of just such spiritual and healing use of psychedelics, and that got me going again. Yeah, that that leads right into my next question. I'm very interested. I love hearing stories. I lo- I'm a history buff. I love history from all parts mm-hmm. of the world, and, and you know, I'm... I'm a firm believer that if we if we pay attention to our history, then we can help with our future. You know, too many times we've repeated yeah. so many of the same mistakes over and over again. And if we would just actually look at where we've came from, mm-hmm. we could make a, a difference in the future. So I'm interested as as you being who you are, and I've I've had my own experiences um, mm-hmm. with uh, with psychedelics and and using them, uh, like you said at the beginning, just for an experience and and somewhat recreationally, but then through some friends showing me some different ways and showing me some research on um on how it could be used medicinally it it changed my life uh after i got out of the military that was my first time ever using psychedelics and and because of that it really it really helped me a lot and i won't go into that but because of that i'm very interested in in the history i'm i'm also a quarter native american cherokee Mm -hmm. navajo and i know that not just in the native americans but Throughout history, I mean, we've looked back. There's there's uh, hemp seed and hashish oil and stuff found in you know tombs in Egypt, and they found stuff in in China with uh, reference to cannabis. And so I'm interested. I know cannabis has been around for you for forever. You know, we've used it for a long time. I know that psychedelics and sacramental uh, substances have been used for a long time as well. And so I'm kind of interested in a little bit of the history of that, that, that you know, you were talking about that because that's what got you into it is what you said is, is that's what kind of tied everything together for you. Could you speak a little bit on that? Like when, in your research, what's the first known times that us as humans started using cannabis or sacramental psychedelics for purposes other than recreational, if you will? Uh, well, I suspect that in general, from the various kinds of indigenous cultures around the world, they were n- never or very rarely ever used for what we would call recreational purposes. They were almost always, you know, always used for, um, you know, some kind of spiritual or healing purposes. And, the, you know, our, we, we have a minor problem uh, um, in, in terms of identifying that history because, uh, first of all, most of those cultures were oral cultures, so they don't have anything written down, and most of them have been destroyed more or less since then. Yeah. So any kind of continuity. Oral cultures actually, as far as I can tell, um, have a remarkable, uh, uncanny ability to transmit information from generation to generation. But those lineage, those links, linkages have been broken. I mean, it's just common sense to think that every every community everywhere in the world before uh, giant grocery stores, um, <laughs> which was you know ninety nine point nine percent of our history, needed to know was fascinated, curious. Etc., but also needed to know the uses of every plant uh, in their neighborhood. So, if, if there was a cactus around, they, you know, especially if they're thirsty, they might cut it and have a bite of it and see, oh, okay. But there's another aspect of this too, which is that um, people have have often, uh, typically, these communities have been um, had an open doorway to the spirit communication. 
for example, with ayahuasca, it, the common story, it takes two plants minimum to make this brew, um, uh, uh, a, um, uh, a vine that contains harmaline, which on its own has a little bit of psychoactivity, but not a heck of a lot, and a DMT-containing plant, which on its own is orally inactive in the stomach. So the harmaline, uh, it's called, um, <clears throat> uh, we have this stuff in our tummies called MAO, monoamine oxidase, oxidase, and it uh, neutralizes the DMT when taken orally. But the harmal, the the uh, the Banisteriopsis capivine, um, strangely enough, um, uh, mitigates that. It's an MAO inhibitor, um, and 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 that's kind of uncanny. Uh, and people all over the Amazon found that. And then sometimes you ask those people, and they say, "Oh, well, the plants told us about this, right?" Why? So so, yeah, there's a bit of a rambly answer, but I think the. Um, the the most likely, this is not sort of hard and fast because we don't have written records going back more than about 5,000 years for the most part. It's almost certain that uh, these plants and fungi uh, would have been discovered and used. We know that there are like mushroom stones going back to several thousand years. They've found peyote residue or whatever it is in graves going back. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a researcher in that sense. But I've you know read all this stuff. You know, going back. I know five, ten thousand years or so. Cannabis residue has been, or you know, whatever paraphernalia and residue has been found in the grave sites of shamans from the Neolithic. We're talking now seven thousand years ago. But with cannabis in particular, I'll just toss this one in. That the lineage. Cannabaceae, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, <laughs> lineage of cannabis is reputed to have gone go back 30 to 90 million years. So you know this plant has been around since before you know humans appeared. I imagine the Neanderthal from 100,000 years ago were using it probably, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, again, it, it, and it's, a, you know, sometimes jokingly referred to as the roadside weed. It grows everywhere. You know, similarly with mushrooms, they're a natural substance, right? There's something like 18 varieties simply just up in the Northwest here where I am. So you think people are going to ignore that? No, they're going to go find those. And uh, if they're lucky, the spirit tells them, eat that one or wait, wait a minute. No, nope, nope, that one's poison. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, so I would say psychedelics um, are embedded in our history in general. And the thing is, and you may know this, Bryce, uh, but maybe not all your viewers or listeners do, they're highly simpatico with brain chemistry. In general, these substances, they have a an ex, uh, extremely high uh, to, uh, you know, uh, tolerant toxicity level. It's pretty much impossible to kill yourself with psilocybin mushrooms. You'd, you know, die from bloating first, you know. Mm -hmm. Cannabis, as uh, the country uh, singer-songwriter Willie Nelson once said, the only way you can kill yourself with care be killed by cannabis is if a bale of it falls off a truck. That I was about to say that's actually that actually happened. There was there's a recorded <laughs> death of cannabis and it was a a person that got in a car accident that was, you know, transporting more than they should have and they got crushed by the weight of it. But that's you know no that's the only <clears throat> you brought up something that you said. You you said that, you know, a lot of these cultures which which I knew this, but I loved hearing it from you that they didn't use these substances or any of this for for recreational purposes. It was always so sacrament, you know. And so that even takes it into the way that they looked at these substances. They were they were reverenced, you know. They were they were respected. Let's translate that to today. Well, yeah, I think so. Now it's so, not right. Like it's very loosely. Like we have 
cannabis. And I'm, I'm a supporter of it. I'm a supporter of decriminalization and everything. But then yeah. I also think things need to be treated correctly and respected correctly. And 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 now we have this term of recreational psychedelics, recreational cannabis. Mm-hmm. Is that something I, I'm all for? Alternate, you know, adult. You should be able to put it. You should be able to make the choice of what goes in your body as an adult. Uh, a governmenting official should not have the right mm-hmm. to tell you that. Yeah. But what do you think? Uh, do you think that maybe some of this recreational use has maybe put a bad look and actually done the opposite of what we want to do of removing the stigmatization, the stigmatize of, mm-hmm. of it being a bad lead in drug and everything, a gateway, whether we're talking about cannabis or psychedelics, just talking about these subs, natural substances, you know, stuff that you don't have to chemically alter with those substances. They can be just used for what you've said for enlightenment and spiritual, but also people are using them for other things and and also misusing them in cases. And you do hear about stuff of people overusing and Uh not very much with cannabis and stuff. You never hear about, you know, somebody strung out on cannabis on the side of the road, but I, I'm in the industry of cannabis. I can personally say I have seen people that probably should have taken that money and instead of purchasing cannabis, sure, they probably went and paid maybe their house payment, their grocery bill or, or something else, you know? It's so... How have we gotten here from taking a sub stuff, you know, for hundreds, thousands of years that was respected as a substance that was not taken lightly, revered, and now it's something that, you know, on their weekends or even on a work night, people's like, oh, let's, let's eat an eight of mus- eighth of mushrooms. Let's pop a couple of gel tabs, you know? I, I, well, I, I, did, I, I don't really know how we got here exactly, um, except for one thing, perhaps, and that is we, we have this sort of... Um, you know, consumerist, entertainment-focused uh, culture. So, you know, uh, everything is sort of a commodity, like a you know bag of potato chips or a sack of mushrooms, right? I'm looking for pleasure, and you know, there's you, it, we could take hours to talk about why the psychology of human beings works that way. One way of looking at it, for example, is from the Tibetan or Buddhist in general, and and other sort of ancient lineages and just general understandings about how the mind works, which is that we are by nature, This is the, the word Buddha actually just means awake. We are at the core of everything, awakened beings. You know, we are embedded in a, an incredibly complex, incredibly beautiful, incredibly intelligent cosmos and a planet for that matter. There's something, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm really trying to do justice to this in a very short amount of time, which is no. Please, you know, people write. I I love hearing the talk. Yeah, people write many books about these things, so doing it in five minutes is, you know, a dubious (laughs) project. But nonetheless, the the notion of um, uh, surrendering our individual identity to that larger identity is typically, or almost for everybody, uh, terrifying in a way. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, because we d- we develop over the course of our lives, and I think quite honestly over the course of many lives, but certainly in the course of the of the, the incarnation we're in now, we develop um, this identity, which in Buddhist terms is often called the ego. Not to be uh, confused completely with the notion of big ego, which is another sort of extension of that in a sense. But ego, from the Buddhist pers- or de- definition or perspective, is this I this um collection of ideas, concepts, and beliefs by which we um, create a, a separate self, a separated from everything. And, um, and it's, uh, it's an illusion. It's not, it's not real. They say the non, they talk about the non-existence of the self, right? It's terrifying to let go of that. We've got so much invested in it, right? We've spent our whole lives 
putting together this personality, this persona, whatever it is, this um, you know, role suit that we wear, so to speak, yeah. um, uh, um, to to survive, to cope, to feel okay, you know, to get by in the world. And so we have an immense amount invested in it, and varying degrees depending on the person. It can be really airy to let go of it. And what psychedelics do is they they shock you right out of that soup, you know, like on the spot, as it were. So that's that's really tricky. And this is one of the reasons that, you know, I'm involved in this kind of work is because, yes, you can, you know, you can do mushrooms so-called recreationally and it can be fine. You can have some really interesting experiences, whatever. But it can also be dangerous because of that reason, because of that ego dissolution capability. And I would say at the very least, if you don't meet these sacraments in a ritual, ceremonial, or therapeutic context with a good guide and a safe container, et cetera, et cetera, and an intention, that's essential, um, then at the very least, <clears throat> you're potentially missing their far and away most potent and useful capability, which is to show you that there is this reality that is unconditional, it's eternal, it's incredibly intelligent, beautiful, divine, etc., you know, whatever word you want to throw at it. Some people might use the word God or the Holy Spirit or the Creator or the eternal source consciousness. It doesn't really matter what word you put on it. It's either an experience or it isn't. And mm -hmm. potentially, if you do a psychedelic right, you can right or improperly safely optimally etc you can you can have an experience temporary of course of that um and that's another issue altogether too because uh, another word that's bandied about in this kind of work a lot these days is integration um it's one thing to have um, an opening and this is what i was saying earlier about how the the psychedelicists, if you will, of the late 60s and early 70s kind of went well okay so yeah i i know that the world is the universe is made of love and it's eternal or whatever, but now what? You know, how do I manage every day of my life? You know, you I can't you can't um can't take LSD every day of your life, you know, to tap back into that. You have to learn how to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? So yeah, ritual context, ceremonial context, safe context, um, guided context, uh, can be extremely important and 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 to sort of to circle back on your question about how did we get here, I would just say what I said before, which is that we tend to have a, you know, feed me culture. Mm. And, and, and the reason I led into this whole notion of um, ego in that regard is that a lot of that has to do is because we, are, we have this fear of uh, the loss of ego. And so we're, we're constantly trying to fill up fill up the space, as it were. You know, there's a, there's a sort of a, what the Buddhists might call an emptiness a stillness and an emptiness at the core of human beings that, that, you know, almost all of us are afraid of to one degree or another. And so rather than, in a sense, dying into that, we try to fill up that space. It's a, it's a hopeless project, ultimately, in the sense that, that uh, you just, it's a constant maintenance. You know, my old Buddhist teacher used the uh, metaphor of a cocoon. You know, the cocoon is always uh, breaking down, is always developing leaks and gaps and tears and rips. And so we're always trying, having to patch it up again if we're trying to keep, keep you know, that unconditional, uh, egoless reality away from us, so to speak. You know, it, it requires constant maintenance. So again, Buddhists, uh, pardon me for, uh, you know, you know, so much Buddhist reference, but that's mm. kind of my analytical background in that sense, or you know, framework for uh, you know, articulating these kind of things. They, 
you know, they say that um, ego is synonymous with struggle. You know, that, yeah, so, 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 you know, people might go, okay, well, you know, I don't really feel like I'm struggling that much. But the thing about ego in that, in that way of understanding is that it's highly conditional on how things are going. So you might, one might notice that even over the course of a day, you know, so you get some good news and you go, oh, and now I'm feeling really good, right? And then you get some bad news or, you know, your, your, your partner, you know, ridicules you about something or gives you a hard time about something and now you feel like crap, right? right. That's, that's that sort of, you know, up and down and all over the place kind of ego that depends on how well your mojo is working in any given moment. But the, the awakened state is to the extent that I understand it. I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, dwelling in the awakened state. That would be a little arrogant on my part, deluded, but uh, I'd be feeding into that ego. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 There's an old saying, those who say, uh, those who say don't know and those who know don't say, you know, so mm. got to be careful about that. But as far as I understand it from the great teachings and so on and from, you know, actual experiences that I've dipped into here and there is that there's a there's a place of peace underneath all that inner peace that's true. It's real. You know, you experience it. I've only experienced it on, with psychedelics, frankly, for the most part. Although, you know, after a really good lay, you might you might have you know, that experience for a short period of time before you realize you have to do the dishes and pay the bills and get on with life. <laughs> but, um, you know, you know, literally actually time stops. Yes. Time stops and you dip in, you, 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 uh, relax into that space. And that's where the integration comes in again, because it, you know, maintaining that is a whole other issue. Again, my old Buddhist teacher once said, it's one thing to let go but at what level can you let be? You know, where is your level of stability for continuity with all that? And so it's a constant, in a sense, rigorous self-examination and um, humbling process. So the rigorous self-examination part is, um, I just want to be clear about that, it's not narcissistic navel-gazing. It's, in a sense, the opposite. Um, it's having the courage and honesty and uh, discipline or self-discipline and humility to recognize that um, we do have a shadow side. We do have um, dark sides that we often want to ignore, which is another whole interesting topic in psychedelics and in general, which is this notion of spiritual bypassing that yeah. people want to have great experiences. They want to think of, we want to think of ourselves as, you know, good people that we're doing the right thing. But to really grow, to really wake up, we have to allow ourselves to be humbled by recognizing you know, the jealousy, the anger, the greed, the selfishness, the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, the paranoia, the comp competitiveness, whatever, all those things, that the pride, you know, all these things that um, potentially stand in the way of opening into, relaxing into that state of peace. You said at the beginning of some things of, uh, you know, well, it's, it's going into that ego death and everything that people, you think that's why, that people are scared to let go. I wrote down what you said that your teacher said. That is that is so powerful. It's not learning to let go, but when can you let be? That is powerful. Very powerful. Right. Well, it, it letting go, letting go into a deeper space is is potentially good, and that's essentially what psychedelics do because they point out to you, among other things, they potentially do. They point out to you that there is this reality that is, in a sense, more real than the one you've been living in. Sometimes, yeah. You even question. So, I've, I've had those experiences. You even question. In that time of like, what what have I been missing? My eyes feel open now. Oh, and like you said, yeah. it's all about how you use it, right? Um, 
I can speak from personal testimony. The first couple of times I'd used any of these types of substances was not for a healing or an understanding and had no purpose behind it. It was just to experience it. And those were nothing profound about those. I don't even remember those, but when I switched how I used psychedelics and used them for a specific reason in a specific time, I had my, like you said, your, your ritual. Uh, I did them at, in certain places. I would only ever do them uh, outdoors. Have to be just certain people around me, and it all have to be right. Yeah. And I started having these experiences, and for the first time, I experienced what I call ego death. Yeah, where I everything was completely stripped away. I was just I realized that at the end of it, we're all the same. We're all just we're all just people. And I looked at the people that are around me the same, and it didn't matter. Yeah, everything was stripped away. The color, your 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 religions, your beliefs, your uh, your practices, just everything. And at the end of it, I just saw the soul of myself. And, and these other people. And I realized that, you know, we were just here together. And I, and I started that ego death. It, I had a bad ego at that point. There was a lot of things that I'd built up to myself. I say bad ego. It was just a lot of uh, armor that I'd put on to go through life, you know, from experiences mm-hmm. and stuff. And I was, oh, and I was trying to protect myself, but what I, what I was doing was hurting myself and having that all stripped away. And I agree the only time in my life, I can't say the only time I, uh, I love going out in the outdoors. I'm, I'm an avid outdoor enthusiast. I love hiking three years ago, got into hunting, but, uh, archery hunting so a lot harder i don't use a rifle or nothing i take it back and it you know i've still never gotten an animal in the three years i've been archery hunting but i've been very close and it just you know you have to become one with nature and that was why i started using psychedelics out in nature is just uh you know we all come from the earth and we need to respect that and and learn more about that and that goes back to even what you said of these cultures way back when that the plants told them you know being in tune with mother nature and and what she can give to us. And the most I've ever felt in tuned was on psychedelics. And then there was this one day sitting out in this grassy field in this valley. It was like 12,000 feet elevation, the snowy mountain range out in Wyoming and was sitting out there for about four hours. And I've always had a hard time with meditation, but I was able to actually sit and just and meditate and ended up missing, uh, missing an elk that walked by because I was just so out of it and just sitting there zoned in. And, and that was the only time I've ever been like that on, not on any substances, but it's just, you know, clean air, quiet and but other than that, you know, with the live daily tussle and bustle of life and just everything that's going on, you know, if you're a parent, you know, you're a teacher, a business person, just everything that you do in life, you never have that time to take that stillness and that quietness. And even the people that sometimes try meditation, like how many of us, I know I can't, unless I was to use cannabis or something else, trying to get, sit down for 30 minutes to an hour and just concentrate on my breathing and trying to listen to my inner self is almost impossible for me. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people that have that same that same difficulty but through things that have been given to us on this earth you know it allows us to what you said see that inner self and and really start to to learn about to learn about ourselves and um and sometimes for some people once they have that that experience depending on how drastic it is and that when that ego death is happens and they're like i said that armor stripped away it's like a new chapter a completely new person is able to come out on the other side with a whole new outlook on life you know and it can be very very impactful for some people stay tuned for more of this conversation on our next episode the opinions expressed on this cannabisradio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.